This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Fans and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, partner, it's time to congratulate the champs, very worthy winners in the bubble that uh, didn't have any uh, any kind of trouble over uh, thousands of tests, not one positive result, and uh, I, I don't know why there's people out there that, that say this is a cup that a cup championship that's marred. I, I think the fuel was level for everybody, and Tampa won it out, and uh, and they didn't even go to the end of into seventh games for any of their series. So they wanted going away, in my opinion, and uh, very worthy winners, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, and you know they really um, you know they had their their fair share of injuries, but overall they they stayed healthy. Obviously, Stamkos, um, aside from taking out of that equation but he was never really <clears throat> a factor for them i mean he did get into one game uh so and scored a goal so i mean <laughs> what else can you hope for from a guy you know i think his ice time was like two to three minutes uh it was pretty it was less than five for sure um so yeah i mean a great um you know great job by them and you know we said at the start with all the talent they've had there i'm, I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened sooner for them but um, you know, they got there eventually, and, and that's the important part, right? Absolutely, my friend. And yet there's people in the media that, that mock this whole process and say, ah, it's an asterisk deal and so on and so forth. But like I said, the, the, field, the field was level. There was no home ice advantage. It was everybody in the same hubs and uh, very pure that way. And uh, the best team proved to be Tampa. And not having to go even the distance in any of their series, they they did show a dominance along the way, and their big players played big, and uh, you need that in a in a, a run like this. And of course, led by Victor Hedman, a tower of power on the back end, uh, ranking third all time with the goals scored that he, by a defenseman in a playoff run. So we'll get into those details a little bit later. But off the top here, AJ, we have a few more trades. We're going to see a lot of deals wheeling and dealing. We're going to we're going to touch on that a little bit later in the show with our look at the salary cap situation. A quick snapshot with each club uh, as we head into that in the next week or so. But three uh, three 
deals in the last week. Some tinkering around the edges, but I know you, I want your opinion on the Penguins deal. We'll save that one for last. But Chicago and, and Vegas got together and uh, swapped uh, wingers. Brandon Peary uh, for Dylan Sakura in this in this trade. Peary's been bounced around a little bit in the last little while. Sakura, a little bit younger uh, talent that maybe the Golden Knights are willing to nurture there in their situation. How do you break this deal down, partner? Yeah, I think, I mean, two guys looking for new opportunities, new homes. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Peary is a, a known quantity for the Blackhawks. They drafted him a couple years ago, traded him away. He's, he's moved around a lot, which, um, you know, some people, uh, myself included, sometimes see some red flags in that. If you're, if you're changing teams a lot, it seems that, you know, you're, you're highly touted and, and people want you, but you're also not really selling your, your organization on keeping you. Um, so there's some red flags on that, but obviously they wanted to bring him back into the fold, which seems to be a Chicago Blackhawk like thing, right? They, they let guys go or trade them away and then they, they bring them back later in their careers. Uh, Andrew Shaw, Brandon Saad. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a minor deal. I think both guys have a chance to get spots on the 23 man roster next season. So, um, you know, right now it seems like a, a minor deal, a little bit of tinkering around the edges, as you said, but if either of these guys makes the 23 man for opening night, then it's a little bit less of a, a minor deal and, and more of a uh, impactful trade. Yeah, Dylan Sakura is a guy who's a bottom six prospect that uh, the Knights are hoping to upgrade a little bit, maybe get a little more offense out of that that guy in this mix i mean he's coming off a year where he didn't do much offensively in nine games played only three points but uh, maybe they're looking at the fact that this diminutive guy from aurora can can find a way into a scoring role maybe injury uh, insurance i suppose is another way to look at it as well uh, in the second deal this is another one where we're going to see a number of trades like this one aj where a uh, one team is uh, looking for a salary dump and hoping it doesn't cost them very much. The Detroit Red Wings acquired Mark Stahl and a 2021 second round pick from the New York Rangers for future considerations. I'm going to suggest to you those future considerations might wind up being nothing at all uh, because Tampa, I mean, because the Rangers ridded themselves of a big contract in this circumstance and they had to pay a second rounder to make that happen. I, I think future considerations is just a term that they put when it's like we're not actually getting anything back here. Like, <laughs> you know, like, um, but I mean, I, I think this is a great move for Detroit. Um, I, I really like Mark Stahl's game. Um, he's not offensively flashy. We're almost never going to talk about him again on podcast, right? Because he's not a, a fantasy factor in, by any means, but he's a solid uh, you know, defensively minded player. And, and I really think he can offer something. His cap hit is pretty high at 5.7 million. Uh, so it's understandable that the Rangers wanted to get rid of him. But in, in Detroit, you've got, uh, you know, Trevor Daly's coming off the books. He's about, he was uh, about 3.2 million for them. Jonathan Erickson's coming off the books. He was 4.25 million for them playing in the minors for a lot of the years. So, I mean, they've got a, a ton of extra money um and you know it's only a one-year commitment on stall so uh you know you go ahead 
You bring Stahl in for a year. Um, maybe he wows you. Maybe he impresses you. You re-sign him after that for, for a lower cap hit. Um, and you get a, a second-round pick along the way. I think this is a great deal for Detroit. Um, you know, the Rangers, for them, it is what it is. got to get salary, and the only way you're going to get somebody to take it on is to give them something. And they at least didn't have to dip into their prospect pool. Um, they obviously aren't giving up their uh, 2020 first-round picks. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's an okay deal for them as well. Yeah, we'll get into why they don't get into that, give, away, give away that pick because it's going to be number one overall. <laughs> so that one's already earmarked. But uh, to your point, the Rangers have a number of youngsters coming up uh, the ranks and they're going to need to get paid in the next couple of years. So some, some cap flexibility is what this was all about and uh, they have a pile of it. We'll also talk about that in each club situation going forward. But we can't go on much further before you uh, have to explain to me the the penguins and panthers getting together on a deal with big ticket items going each way in this one and uh i I need your help to break this one down patrick hornquist to me a useful player for the penguins uh plays the game a little bit different than than most of the top six guys there he's got a little more bit more sandpaper to his game and and that's a necessary element we found that out with the likes of patrick maroon and barkley goudreau helping the the Tampa club so I'm not sure you're happy about Patrick Hornquist going out the door and taking on Mike Matheson to add to a stable of defensemen that already have similar qualities and yet he's a big ticket guy and Colton Sevier is a a throw in in this deal kind of to balance the money side of it a little bit I suppose. Yeah I'll be honest I was a little uh, flummoxed uh, when I saw this trade come across. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know here's what I'll say about reasons to trade Patrick Hornquist away. Um, He still has some value, obviously teams. uh, And and I think he does. I I would have preferred to keep him if I'm being totally honest, but um, he has dealt with some injuries lately. He plays a very rough kind of style of game. So, um, you know, he's going to be more prone to injuries that way. His cap hit is pretty big. So, I mean, there, there are certainly reasons that Patrick Hornquist was being shopped around. Um, the downside is he's your net front guy on your top power play. I imagine that's a role he'll take on for the Panthers and just stand in front of opposing net minders and drive them absolutely nutty. Um, you know, he, uh, I think with the Panthers, maybe he can slot into a top six. That would be the other reason to move him in Pittsburgh is uh, with kind of the deals they've made, um, and Brian Russ emergence, I, I don't think Hornquist was likely to be in a top six role for them uh, when fully healthy, which is never something you say about Pittsburgh. So obviously <laughs> that could change mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, the thing about bringing Matheson is you that confused me the most is you already have uh, right. Uh, I'm sorry, left handed defenseman in Brian Dumoulin, Marcus Patterson, Jack Johnson, UC Ricola and Chad Ruido like you already are loaded on one side of the ice and then you add Mike Matheson and this coaching staff historically doesn't like playing guys on their offside. Um, so your options are, you know, if Matheson's in, then are you moving Jack Johnson over to his offhand? I'm, I'm not sure that's the right choice. They've shown that they don't really seem to trust UC Ricola. So I have to imagine something else is in the works here in terms of a trade. I doubt you know, even if you just look at it that way, the Penguins already have eight defensemen on one-way contracts for next season. Um, and then, you know, they've got Pierre Oliver Joseph, who spent the year in the minors, who's really pushing for 
you know, a regular spot on, on the roster. So I, I admit I was really confused by this deal. I, I didn't particularly care for it. Um, but, you know, I for my money, I know uh, I've had some discussions with other Penguins fans. But for my money, I think Jim Rutherford's earned, still earned the benefit of the doubt. Uh, on this, uh, you know, move, you know, you you look at other defenseman moves. I like the Marcus Pedersen deal. Uh, he traded away practically nothing for John Marino. So, you know, I, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt that this will work out. But I, I admit to some confusion here. And AJ, there were a couple of interesting signings that I want to get your opinion on. One, a big ticket in Montreal, Jeff Petrie, six point two five million dollars is the cap hit going forward for the next few years that's that's a lot of money to commit to a defenseman but he's so important to the montreal cause and and uh partner with shea weber gives him a heck of a one-two punch on the back end there yeah the one thing i i kind of like about the deal is, is the fact that it was you know an, an extension so they're pushing his you know his raise is not going into effect until after this season where there's a flat cap now he does already make 5.5 against the cap so he's he's by no means a cheap uh, defenseman, but at least they're not seeing that that pay raise, and it's pretty modest, all things considered. But um, they're not seeing that go into effect until next year. Now you look at his age; uh, you know he's going to be on the you know the back half of 35 here um, when it wraps up. But I think even at 6.25, it's it's modest enough. If you're hoping and, and praying that league revenues go up over the course of the next five years, that it could look like an okay deal. I, I'm not ready to say that it'll for sure be kind of an albatross at the end of it. It has a chance that maybe that last season um, you're maybe looking to contract dump it or something. But uh, for now, I, I think it's a good deal for them. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree because look at the level that, of hockey that he played at in the last couple of years. Uh, he definitely earned a raise, and, and I don't see any slippage in his game, despite the fact that he's on, on the wrong side of 30 if you're an NHLer. Uh, people need to be a little bit wary of that these days with the game going in a, in a younger direction more readily, it seems. But uh, to me, uh, a good value play, I think, by the Habs to sign him up for the next couple of years at that at that rate. AJ, before we go on, you got to do our disclaimer one last time uh before we get into talk of the stanley cup final series actually paul before we do that i'm going to kick one over to you okay uh, you know bobby ryan had his contract bought out by ottawa um they're obviously dumping salary like you know nobody's business i think the interesting part about that is they've got a lot of money to spend to get to the cap floor at this point something like 20 million dollars just to get to the lower limit here uh, what did you think about the the Bobby Ryan contract buyout? Uh, good move by Ottawa, bad move for me. Uh, you know, I, I get he's had some recent struggles, but you you know, is this how you reward a guy for winning the Bill Masterson Trophy? Like, hey, congrats! Uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I mean, uh, I I think it's I, I get they're trying to cut costs. Um, I imagine Bobby Ryan will land somewhere and and. Um, can still be a productive player who will push for top six minutes you know what it's a big ticket there's no question about that and the fact that he got bought out doesn't mean that they're out from under this hit forever they're going to pay for it for the next four years at least parts of it over the next four years so that's going to impact their cap a little bit not that this team is a team that's going to ever threaten to 
uh, spin to the top of the cap. So here, here we are. Like you said, the guy wins the Master and Trophy. It's a feel-good story in Ottawa, and they had very few of those. And so, uh, no sooner do they get to bask in the afterglow of that than than they pull the rug out from under this guy, and and the fan base has to look around saying, well. What the heck just happened here? This this guy gets an acknowledgement that he's got his life back together. He was, he's starting to produce a little bit offensively as well to finally uh, create some interest on the ice for, for that amount of money and, and put his bugaboos behind him. So it was heading in the right direction. And, and let's face it, this team needs some leadership too. And I think a guy like that who's been through the trials that he has ha- would have a lot to offer the younger guys. So in terms of a mentoring role, I, th- I thought that he was really primed for all of that. And uh, the salary was what the salary was. They're gonna, they were going to need him to get to that cap floor anyway. So there was no da- downside to me in holding on to him uh, as a guy who could become a, a positive lightning rod here in the Ottawa circumstance going forward. So a real head scratcher for me, AJ, and uh, they're going to have to turn around and spend that money somewhere. Why didn't they just keep this guy in, in, in the fold when uh, there was some good news around him? I don't know. It just uh, adds to the list a litany of poor management decisions and, and ownership decisions that we've seen out of this franchise for the last several years. And it's very disappointing for a guy who thrives on, like me, who thrives on the Battle of Ontario, which has been very one-sided for uh, way too long. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the 2005 NHL draft gets so much attention um, because of being, you know, the Sidney Crosby draft and everything coming out of the lockout. But uh, look at the top 10 guys that went in the draft. There's, you know, not a whole lot of uh, kind of re- redeeming on, on that top 10. You know, Jack Johnson went third. He's got probably the biggest uh, complaint contract of anybody in the league right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, a handful of guys that honestly I, I'm not even that familiar with. Uh, that went in this top 10. Bobby Ryan obviously went second overall to Crosby. Um, and then Carey Price at five, you know, that seems like a great pick <laughs> at yeah. this point by the Habs. But uh, yeah, really interesting draft when, when you look back at it. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that this doesn't, uh, you know, impact Bobby Ryan in terms of personal health long term. And, and I imagine he will find somebody uh, that wants to bring him in and they probably won't have to pay him that much money i imagine you'll see a similar deal to like kovalchuk who cashed in uh on you know on the buyout portion and then was willing to take less in terms of his actual contract when he signed with montreal so uh, it's definitely one interesting to watch but as you mentioned before we get into the rest of the show i'll just remind our listeners that throughout each week if you have questions um uh, and not about lineups at this point but maybe you have some keeper questions heading into next season some dynasty questions um, you know, player, uh, you know, the draft and free agency are right around the corner. If you have questions about what your team might do uh, in that situation, we would love to interact with you over on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at AJ Schultz 24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. And AJ, we get to talk now about the Stanley Cup final. When we left our listeners last week, it was a 1-1 tie after two games. And I want our listeners to pay attention to the guys who actually scored the points and goals in the, in the remaining games. It was a really a series where the stars on both sides really delivered the goods, obviously more in favor of Tampa. You look at game five, it was a five, game three, it was a 5-2 win for the Bolts to get the lead that they never relinquished in this set. Vasilevsky stopping 22 of 24. But the goal scorers, point getters, 
Hedman with a goal and two assists. Palat, Point, and Kucherov, a goal and one assist. Stamkos with the cameo appearance and a goal in two and a half minutes of playing time in this postseason. And then it was Ruta, Shattenkirk, and Sorelli with helpers for Dallas. Uh, Kudobin, who was pulled in this game after allowing five goals on 29 shots. Uh, the goal scorer for Heiskanen, who had a fantastic playoff. Dickinson, who had a bit of a coming out party himself for the goal. Pavelski was outstanding in this postseason, had a helper. Hintz, Cogliano, and Cogliano picking up the assists there. So uh, game f- game two, three was a portent of, of what was going to go on the rest of the way with Tampa uh, getting the edge there. And uh, what were your thoughts at that point, AJ? Yeah, you know, I, I think to your point, um, you know, it, it looked... I, I have to imagine if Ben Bishop was healthy that we probably would have seen him in the next game uh, after Hugh Dobin's performance in that one. Um, but obviously they're, they're not going to put Brandon Bow in that position to have him start a Stanley Cup final game. No. Um, you know, it, it just would have been ridiculous for, for them to go that route. So uh, I, I imagine if Ben Bishop was, was feeling 100% and, and really – fully fit uh that we probably would have seen him in game four uh based on that that out uh that performance by Hudobin. and then we went to back-to-back games in the final series i'm still wondering why they had to play back-to-back in the postseason maybe there were some scheduling issues there aj but uh we went uh, consecutive nights into overtime tampa winning five to four in game four and then Dallas winning 3-2 to two in double overtime in Game 5. It was fantastic hockey being played by both clubs. But again, you look at the scoring. Braden Point, two goals in that one. Shattenkirk, who I think he's done himself a great service with a nice playoff run. He's going to get another contract out of this uh, this performance, I think. Getting a goal in that game. Killorn adding a goal and assist. Yanni Gourd with a goal. Sergachev, an up-and-coming defenseman on the back end with an assist. Kucherov, two more assists for himself. Palat, Sorelli, Maroon, and Hedman uh, winding up with helpers as well. For Dallas in uh, game, that game four, Pavelski with two more goals, putting him ahead of the pack in U.S. Uh, scoring history in the playoffs for goal scorers. I know you're, you were going to want to talk about that for sure. Corey Perry uh, reminding people that, you know, you don't have to pay big, big bucks for veteran leadership these days, and you can finally find a way to bring a guy in to, to be helpful in that regard. So we're going to see a lot of players in the 30-something age bracket signing up for, for low dollars, and they do have a value. Corey Perry underlined that for, for Dallas and Patrick Maroon for, for Tampa in these playoffs, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other player that that I think really uh, probably did himself a, a big favor, especially in Game Five, is is Corey Perry. You know, two goals showed he had a little bit left in the tank. Um, you know, I I think maybe he's looking at at a Patrick Marlowe type contract where he agrees that he's mostly going to be a bottom six guy. He's going to go to a contender. Maybe he stays in Dallas. Um, you know, obviously they made it to to the finals, so they will no doubt want to get back there. So. Um, I, I think he definitely earned himself another contract if, if he wants to play another year. Um, you know, you mentioned Mikhail Sergachev. Look, if, if you're in a, a dynasty league, keeper league, and have this guy, I, I think there's no situation in which you want to let him go. Um, I shouldn't say no situation, obviously. Uh, if you're in a, a shallower league and you can only keep three or four guys, he may not be up there. But certainly... Um, worth considering because i think he's going to be right behind headman in terms of the the power play next season and really is is a great player to keep your eye on um you know if you're in a redraft format next season try and snag this guy in a, in a mid-round 
Um, cause I really think he's going to continue to, to grow and do good things next year. And yeah, you mentioned Pavelski 61 postseason goals. Um, you know, one of the, one of the best all time from, from, uh, South of the border here, I'll, I'll say. And, uh, so really, um, a great career for him. I, I look forward, you know, he's got, uh, some more time. He's certainly not done. And I imagine he'll want to try and do everything he can to get uh, Dallas back to this point next year. You know what? And in these two games, we got five assists recorded by Tyler uh, Sagan. Uh, this guy came out of the playoffs. It came out later that he uh, was dealing with three separate injuries, AJ, in terms of a bum, knee, a hip, and uh, one other one that I don't recall. But uh, this was a war of attrition for teams that made it to this this point. And, and it's interesting that I get a chance to highlight a guy like Sagan, who's not known as a guy that I would define as gritty or a grinder, but he grinded out as best he could and gave it everything that he had and ju- just indicative of the sat- sacrifices that players have to make in order to reach this point in the playoffs. So a tip of the hat to to a guy like a Tyler Sagan as well. In game six, which took place on Monday night, Vasilevsky, who was outstanding in these playoffs, finally recorded his first ever playoff shutout, uh, AJ, and and, uh, he was the star in the in the nets for Tampa throughout this playoff uh, obviously a consideration for the Smythe trophy as well with the fact that he played every second for them in this postseason and did it with some great great performances throughout but uh, again the scoring summary is dotted with the leadership of this team Braden Point Victor Hedman Kucherov all factoring in to the limited offense that was required Kudobin bounced back for a couple of uh, let's let's say shakier efforts uh, to play steadily 27 sh- saves on 29 shots but Tal Dallas looked pretty tired to me in la- in the last game AJ I think they were spent and Tampa finally wore them down and uh, in no small part to the fact that they had a little more depth offensively and that size on the back end too was a factor Oh, absolutely. And you want to talk about veteran leadership. How about the the only guy who got to do this two years in a row? Patrick Maroon uh, comes over, signs uh, in the in the offseason there. And, uh, you know, he chips in an assist last night in the clinching game. So back to back Stanley Cup championships uh, for him. Uh, Really, uh, you know, he's not. He's not the guy that's going to put up, you know, 30, 20, 30 goals in a season um, at, at this point in his career. But an, another just great depth guy that can really help out. Um, he had six points in, in the 25 games uh, in the postseason here. So, again, you know, you the, the game's all about youth. And I certainly agree with that. But you got to have a couple of these guys around. Um, if you're going to get that far, Pat Maroon, Corey Perry, you know, um, Pavelski, obviously, and, and they're, they're going to be, in my opinion, they're going to be what gets you over the, the hump there. You know, Pittsburgh, uh, when they won twice, they had uh, Matt Cullen. Um, you know, they, you got to have a couple of these veteran guys, I think, uh, kicking around at least in the locker room, if not on the ice for you. AJ, we, we again tip our hats to the, the way the NHL pulled this whole thing off and uh, a very worthy champion in Tampa winding up the, 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 with a, a parade. I don't know how they're going to celebrate this thing, but a parade maybe through empty streets might be in the offing. That'd be something to look forward to in the next couple of days to see how they celebrate this in their community if they do or if they postpone it. 
the players are supposed to get a day with the cup. I'm sure that's going to happen still in the off season. But uh, uh, Tampa, with their second championship uh, as a franchise, uh, very worthy winners in my opinion. Uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, preparation for next season. We don't miss a beat here in that regard, AJ. And uh, hockey has become a 365-day-a-year proposition for poolies out there. So we want to feed into that and with a quick review. I mean, you did an outstanding uh, process earlier in this in this cycle to highlight the salary cap situations with each of the clubs but now we have a little bit more information and uh, as we anticipate teams heading into the free agency frenzy uh, which begins on october the 9th uh, let's take a look at each of the clubs and see what it is that they might be looking to fill in i'll start with the anaheim ducks uh, partner and say they have pretty much accounted for their roster and spent almost all the money that they can but they still have to find a second goalie to play behind John Gibson. Uh, Ryan Miller, at 40 years of age, you wonder if he's going to hang it up. And does that mean they turn their attention to minor league options? Or do they look outside the organization? But that's the area that I think they're going to look to fill. Maybe a guy like Anthony Stollers finally gets a chance to, to prove himself at age 26. He's in the last year of a contract that will pay him 750000 if he makes the grade. But other than that, they're tinkering around the edges in Anaheim. Well, I think the big kick in the pants for them right now is that Corey Perry buyout is costing him $6.6 million in cap space right now. And he, you know, just played in a Stanley Cup final and Anaheim was nowhere near the playoffs. So uh, that that is not uh, going to sit well in terms of, uh, you know, finding uh, room. But I, I think you're right. They're going to have something's got to give because um, based on the numbers that over at our friends at Cap Friendly, they don't have enough to, to bring in even a, a minimum uh, netminder at at this point so they're gonna have to do something in in terms of an additional buyout or or a trade um to make some room here for uh for a backup netminders um you know i'll, I'll dive us into arizona look the biggest talking point for them is obviously going to be taylor hall and whether or not they can fit him in uh some options that have come up are possibly trying to move phil kessel um i've, I've seen that rumor circulate uh i think the the appeal there for them is this is a team that doesn't have a pick in the first three rounds this year. I mean, they don't they don't uh, make a selection until round four of the 2020 draft. I think you could probably pretty easily get a second round pick for for Phil Kessel. Although if you're you know taking on that uh, that 6.8 million cap hit, uh, maybe maybe not so much. But um, I, I think even that, even moving Phil Kessel, if somebody takes on his full cap. Um, I'm just not sure, you know, how how you fit Taylor Hall in for for what he's going to want on the market. And, there, you know, the fact that all the front office problems there, you know, the, the coaching staff is the same, but the general manager leaves. They've fired a couple other people along the way. And I'm just not sure I want to be anywhere near that right now. If, if I'm a player like Hall, um, I'm looking for a contender that or a fringe contender that can pay. Uh, is probably uh, you know my my pursuit, and I, I don't think that's Arizona. Yeah, they have about what is it one one million or five no five million in cap space that uh, they can use. No, it's actually one million uh, is all they have. So they'll need to move some money around because they only have seventeen contracts signed. And when you look at some of the players in the in the fold, they're players that that you think they would like to hang on to. Vinny Hinostrosa is a guy that I have some time for. He didn't have a great year last year, but I think he could be part of the leadership of this team going forward as a depth forward. 
Uh, Christian Fisher fits in the same mold for me. Uh, Hole, uh, of course, Hall is the big question mark, but I don't think they have a way to keep him in the fold for, with the limitations that they have. So really, it's incumbent on them to find a taker for the Phil Castle contract or maybe even the Derek Stepan deal at one year, $6.5 million left on his circumstance. So the challenges are there for anybody who is going to be involved in the Arizona management to uh, move this team forward uh, credibly. Uh, the Boston Bruins this is a team that got a year older. Their core is now featuring guys like Krejci and Bergeron up front who are in their mid-30s. Marshawn not too far behind in his age 32 season. Uh, they're they're uh, up there in the terms of the salary take in the Boston circumstance. Of course, the big question remains, what's going to happen with Tory Krug? Uh, and is he going to play in Boston? And does he go to the top of the ladder in terms of earning situations there in in Beantown. They have $14 million to spend. They have to sign four players, so they could fit him in if they want to, but I think if they see him bold, they might pivot and put themselves into the Alex Pietrangelo sweepstakes. That's my quick and dirty on the Bruins. Matt Grizzlick uh, is another uh, situation on defense to watch. A useful guy who's a depth player. And then, of course, does the captain Zdeno Chara return or for his age 43 season, or does he finally hang them up and we see a new captain in Boston, AJ? Yeah, I think for them the priority has to be. I, I don't see how this team gets any better letting Tory Krug walk. Um, I know the money situation is probably a little bit tight, but that, that would be my priority. Um, you know, if you have to do something in, in terms of, of trading other pieces to make, make the space, um, obviously, you know, their they're first line's off limits. But I, I think certainly it's worth considering to, you know, uh, do you let. Zdeno Chara and his $2 million cap hit go because it gives you more room for Tory Krug. Yeah, it'd be quite the transition and end of an era in Boston, but I, I think it would be the choice that you have to make. Um, speaking of choices, uh, there's plenty of choices that Buffalo will have to dive into with their new uh, general manager, Kevin Adams. Uh, they already made the deal to bring in Eric Stahl, and on paper, uh, I kind of like how their forward and, and defensive group looks in terms of their depth chart. The problem is none of these guys are under contract. They've only got five forwards under contract right now. They got to figure out, you know, Dominic Cahoon, Tate Thompson, Victor Olofsson, Sam Reinhardt, all RFAs. That's going to eat up a ton of money. And then it's question mark guys throughout the lineup. I mean, I, I could see arguments for and against bringing back Wayne Simmons, Vladimir Sabotka, Jimmy VC, uh, Michael Frolik, like, all those guys, you could make legit arguments either way to bring back or not bring back. So um, a lot has to happen here. Uh, Linus uh, Olmark is going to be an RFA as well. So really a lot of work to be done um, by the new general manager. But I do like for this team, I, I think adding Eric Stahl was a, a, good, uh, a good call on their part to kind of give them some additional center depth. Yeah, if I was the Buffalo management team, I would say to Eric Stahl you got to shadow Jeff Skinner next year because they got to find a way to get value out of that that guy and the fact that he's got a nine million dollar cap hit for the next seven seasons AJ that's he's going to be he's a long going to be the longest tenured saber beyond even Jack Eichel the way this thing looks right now uh, Eichel becomes a free agent and in, in, when Skinner still got a year to go on his deal so uh, finding a way to get more out of him and get bang for that that buck big dollar salary is is critical for the Sabres but you mentioned they have a whole host of of uh, roster spots that they need to fill with a 
a lengthy list of UFAs and RFAs, and uh, maybe they go outside the organization to, to move in different directions too. But in the in the near future, they got to figure out about Rasmus Dahlin needing a new contract at the end of next year as well. So plenty of decisions in Buffalo and uh, their their goalie situation in flux with Linus Ulmark, a, a pending RFA, and Hutton uh, at age 34 playing out the last year of his contract. So lots and lots of work to do in Saberland. Up next, whoops, up next, we're going to take a look at uh, the, I believe it's the Calgary Flames that are up next, AJ. And so it's another team that has 14 players signed uh, out of the 23 that they hope to sign. And they have seven, almost $17 million to use. And so the, the opportunities are there for a guy like an Andrew Manjapani, who did himself a big favor by threatening for top six minutes at times this season. Mark Jankowski is a pending RFA, but the, while there was a lot of high hopes on him initially, I think those have faded a little bit. So maybe they'll look elsewhere to bolster their offense. On the back end, they have uh, veterans like Eric Gustafsson, Michael Sohn, and Travis Hamannock, who are all pending UFAs. TJ Brody is another guy that that is going to be highly sought after in free agency. So their defense is going to have a different look, and that's where an area where they can look to spend some big money going forward. The net mining situation, Dave Riddich didn't get a, much of a look in the postseason. I was surprised by that. He's got one year at 2.75 left. Cam Talbot, a UFA in, in pending. So what do you think about that situation? Well, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The biggest question mark for them is, is the net minding um, and, and what they do in terms of, of the long term. You know, they've got Dustin Wolf, uh, who's just 19 years of age, signed his his uh, entry level deal. I, I imagine we will see we won't see him for for a couple of years here, um, just based on how most goalies uh, project in, in terms of growth and, and that. Um, so they need a if if they think wolf is a long-term solution they need a short-term fix um you know do they go in to the market you know for for guys um you know like uh you know uh Holpe or or some of the other uh free agents that are going to be out there or do they just bring back talbot to to be the guy for another year or two and kind of bide their time um there's that the the goalie carousel is going to be a, a big deal this season and i think they are um, going to be crucial to to those decision making. Another team that that is going to be uh, kind of in the mix on this this goalie uh, situation, or at least reports indicate that way, is the Carolina Hurricanes. Are they going to? They have Reimer and Mrazek both under contract, so they could just stand pat. And I, I certainly could see an argument in favor of that. I, I don't think they need to move either of those guys. I, I think Mrazek can be. A net, uh, the solid netminder for them in, in terms of, of their future. Uh, other questions, do you bring back Sammy Vatanen? Uh, you know, they've got plenty of guys under contract. Now, they've got five defensemen under contract, and all of them are making over $4, uh, $4 million. So I'm not sure really you could fit Vatanen in there, but it's certainly um, something to look at. Does Justin Williams want to keep playing or do another one of his uh, half-season <laughs> half season deals? Um, you know, that that's another question mark for them as well. Um, you know, Ford, you know, Ford combinations, there's, there's not a lot going on there that they need to really worry about. Maybe some minor tinkering in the bottom six, but... Uh, I really like the Vincent Trocheck acquisition. I think that gives them a, a really solid one-two down the middle with with Sebastian Ajo 
and even three with with Jordan Stahl there. So, um, you know, maybe some minor tweaks in terms of depth uh, for them, but I, I don't see a whole lot of changes that are really needed for this Carolina team. And Chicago's kind of done their rebuild on the fly, AJ, and with some good good results. They've uncovered some some gems offensively to put around the big ticket guys in Taves and Kane. I thought this was the team that was headed for cap cap hell, but they've navigated the waters pretty well right now, and they they have some flexibility. They have to sign six players, and they have about seven and a half seven point eight million dollars. So there is some money there. Uh, the key guys I would suggest offensively are Dylan Strom and Dominic Kubelik, who will eat up much of that gap. So it could be a bunch, a couple of minimum guys. And if they can get these guys to bridge deals, that makes their management life a little bit easier. In terms of the net mining situation, that's where there's going to be some heavy lifting necessary. They've got Colin D'Elia signed for the next two years at a million dollars per, but uh, I don't think he has the pedigree to be a, n- a number one uh, goalie for any team in the NHL at this point. So uh, beyond him, Malkin Subban didn't get a sniff after the deal that sent him from Vegas over to Chicago. They need to find what they have in him, and they got to re-sign him as a pending RFA. So the goal thing situation uh, was in the hands of Corey Crawford. He's a pending UFA at age 35. I don't think it makes sense to bring him back here. So you can expect to see him if he wants to extend his career, maybe in a, a goalie split situation somewhere else around the league. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, Paul. But at the same time, you know, I, I think if he can be healthy of the three guys he's he's their best option I, I think the question for me is the the money and, and how much they're gonna have to pay him um i've also heard olimata could be um on his way to to a new club once again they they brought him in via trade and now it sounds like they could be looking to move his you know four point uh you know four point one roughly uh contract as well so um i i think there's still a few uh tinkering moves but like you said the forwards are just getting those couple of guys under contract and, and they're good to go from there. Um, in terms of, you know, next we'll, we'll dive into uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets here uh, and a team that, again, you know, there's plenty to be excited about. Obviously, the the question marks in terms of, of health are, uh, are you going to get Josh Anderson next year? Because I think he can be a really solid, you know, second, third line guy for them uh, in terms of, of where you know they can go Uh, most of their rfas are kind of fringe guys in in a lot of ways but they do have pierre luc dubois who needs to get a contract and that's not going to be a cheap one he'll eat up a a ton of that money Um, and i think that's led to you know rumblings of of them trying to move some defensemen as well Um, net minding they're set with with mers lincoln's and corpus um, both under contract for two years each so it's just how much are they going to have to pay PLD to, to re-sign what they want to do with Josh Anderson in terms of health. And uh, in terms of the goaltending situation in Colorado, you might be able to say the same thing, and they did it on the cheap. Frank Francis and Grubauer combining to eat up only $5.3 million out of the cap next year, but uh, they'll be hitting the UFA soon after that. So uh, they'll, they, they've been able to kick the can down the road in terms of their goaltending, and that frees them up to spend... A little more freely than some of the other clubs around uh, uh, an offense that uh, is predicated on some heavy hitters at the top end of the lineup featuring Nate McKinnon, of course. And on the back end, Kale McCarr is uh, playing the last year of his entry-level deal next year. So they're getting tremendous value out of him very early in his career. But they're going to have to fill out that defense core. They've got only four guys signed up. So the likes of Ryan Graves, Kevin Kanopnin, and Nikita Zadorov 
all needing contracts in that circumstance. That's where gonna, they're going to be part of the focus. But I could also see some work necessary on the forward ranks where Burakovsky and Nemestimkov uh, and Tyson Yost need new deals. And I wonder if they have any room or interest in a guy like a Valeri, Valeri Nichushkin who finally found his groove and contributed some offense to the mix over there in Colorado, AJ. Yeah, you know, well, just uh, you sum that up pretty well. There, there's not much else they have to do uh, with that team. So I'll dive right into to Dallas. I think the biggest question mark for, for them is obviously backup net minding, right? Um, can they get uh, Hugh Dobin back under contract for next season? Ben Bishop doesn't make that much money, just a little under $5 million. So um, he's not going to, you know, they they have some room to bring Hugh Dobin in for around two, three million dollars without really going uh, over the top from there. It's a couple of minor guys that, that need new deals. Rupe Hintz, Dennis Kirianov. Uh, I would let, especially after the, the postseason uh, Joel Kivaranta had, I would let Matias Janmark go. I don't think they really need to bring him back. All their defensemen are under contract next year, and they, they do have to consider the future with Miro Heiskanen. He's um, one year away from from cashing in on, on what I imagine will be a pretty lengthy, pretty sizable deal. Um, so save any cap space that you have for that. Um, make some minor additions is, is what I see for uh, the Dallas Stars. Yeah, they got $15 million to spend, and uh, they better be wise about it because they got some youngsters who are going to eat up some of that money in the very near future. So that'll be their challenge, A.J., and then we got the uh, Detroit Red Wings, a team that is in a big-time rebuild mode. And uh, one of the deals that we talked about earlier on re- has reshaped their cap situation. They do have still $27,000, $27 million to spend under the cap to fill nine positions. In terms of incumbents that will need to be compensated, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi and Anthony Mantha are at the top of the list for me, AJ. And then beyond that, you wonder if they're going to offer any of their other RFAs and UFAs any money, uh, or else do they go out hunting in free agency? They've been linked to Tory Krug po- as a possibility. I, I wonder about the, the smarts of putting that much uh, of their cap in a, in a guy's hands when they're so, so far away from being a contender uh, remains to be seen there. But some work to be done on the back end, too, where they've got four guys signed. And we mentioned that uh, among the UFAs, you mentioned Trevor Daly, uh, Jonathan Erickson. They're not going to sign him. Uh, they've already said so. Madison Bowie probably is the one guy on the back end that might merit a contract and and be considered a part of the future of this team he's 25 years old and will be given an opportunity here i think and in the net minding they've got one more year with jonathan bernier he performed heroically this season and he'll be back by calvin pickard there's no need to upgrade on in the net minding circumstance here until they get more talent up front in my opinion well i think we're going to see a lot of that talent um come from within you know i i i'm not suggesting they won't be on the free agent market but you know, they've got Evgeny Svechnikov, uh, Dominic Turgeon, Philip Zadina, all forwards that are probably going to make the 23-man roster. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Taro Hyros, another one. And then on the back end, Maurice Sider, Dennis Cholowiski, uh, Philip Ronick, I, I think are all guys who will factor in. Um, you know, it, none of those guys is going to make, uh, they're all under, with the exception of Hyros, they're all under contract mostly on entry level deals so none of them are going to make over a hundred uh, or over a million dollars rather so um they'll certainly have money to spend um but yeah i expect a lot of uh their moves to come from within 
next season. Uh, we'll dive into the Edmonton Oilers next. Uh, obviously, they pay a lot of money for the top end of their lineup. Um, $21 million for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I think the the biggest question from within is what you do in terms of a contract, if at all, for Andreas Athanasiu, um, or do you try and move his rights to, to somebody else? Uh, Tyler Ennis, obviously another uh, question mark for them. And then, of course, there's there's the net mining and, and what to do there. Uh, you know, Mike Smith will be a, a unrestricted free agent and he's 38 years old. Does he want to resign? Do you trust Miko Koskinen? I, I I think the answer is no, but you're paying him four point five million. Of course, that deal was signed by the since fired general manager, so um, they're not necessarily really tied uh, to that deal. So uh, I expect them to to maybe move some pieces to try and bring in a, a netminder. They've been linked to Matt Murray, Darcy Kemper, uh, and and maybe trying to bring in somebody who can be because I think that is kind of the biggest thing, right? You have offense in McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins, James Neal. Like you have guys that can score. You've got some decent blue liners and, and Clef Bomb. Uh, Caleb Jones is up and coming. Same with Ethan Bear. So if they can figure out the net mining situation, this is a dangerous team next year. I think so too. And I wonder. There's been a lot of talk about Darnell Nurse in terms of trade rumors to to uh, bolster the team. But boy, uh, I think a guy like that. <clears throat> excuse me. He, he has all kinds of skills that are unique uh, in terms of being tough and mobile in the back end. I wouldn't get rid of him. So uh, he'll be a guy to keep an eye on in that circumstance. Okay, Florida Panthers up next, AJ. And uh, over there, we saw them acquire Patrick Hornquist, $5.3 million the cap hit. This is a team that has a fair bit of money to spend still in free agency. They've only signed 12 players. So they have the likes of that enough to look at. Mike Hoffman, those are going to be the signature pieces offensively that they need to bring back. Maybe Eric Halla is a third component there. On the back end, you wonder if they entertain Mackenzie Wieger and the utility I've known as Mark Pissick, who played a lot of forward for them on the back end. Those are the, the pieces that they can choose from within, but then they, they could also go hunting in free agency, and with that money they have to spend, they could spend it a little more freely than some of the other teams that are out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the obviously the, the biggest uh, hindrance for them in, in the free agent market is the $10 million that they're paying Sergei Bobrovsky uh, for his underperforming year. So they'll hope that he can rebound. Uh, I, I, you know, based on, on latest indications, they're going to let Dadnoff and Hoffman at least take a look and see what their value is on the market. You know, they've got a new GM in, in Bill Zito and I think he's kind of thinking that the market value is going to be depressed. And I think he wants those guys to see that maybe the money's not out there um, necessarily. And, and look, you know, you have to take in everything into account. Uh, living in Florida, it probably doesn't suck. Uh, you know, the, weather's, the weather's nice. Um, no state income tax. So obviously your dollar goes a little bit further there as well. So uh, I can certainly see his, his stance there to, to see about letting those guys test the waters, see what you can get. Uh, and then, you know, bring them, bring them back with some sort of wow deal. If, if you can make that work, now we'll look uh, at the Los Angeles Kings uh, coming up next. Uh, they're another team that's kind of trying to rebuild on the fly. They've got some big dollar central pieces, 
that have both tipped the 30 mark in Anze Kopitar and Drew Doughty making a combined uh, $21 million. Let me tell you, if I have to spend $20 million on two players, I'd rather it be Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl <laughs> than Anze Kopitar and Drew Doughty. Not that, you know, Doughty and Kopitar aren't good, but, uh, you know, def- definitely a different situation there. Um, look, the contract that just will not go away, uh, they are on the hook for just over $4 million of Dion Phaneuf's buyout. Uh, they're on the hook for... $6.25 million of Yula Kovalchuk's uh, contract termination. And they're also still paying Mike Richards. There's a blast from the past. Um, so this is a team that's got a lot of dead money, uh, oh, just about $11 million in terms of dead money tied up uh, in the cap. So that's really going to hurt in this flat year. But uh, they've, they've got plenty of picks. They've got six picks in the first three rounds next season, so maybe more than one guy. Uh, makes the the 23 man roster and they try and keep building out that way yeah they got room for five more players they got 17 million dollars so they can be a little more creative than some of the other teams despite that dead money that you highlighted that there's, there's a lot of minimum dollar players that are dotting the roster that figure to make the grade next year but they can go hunting for people that want to do a prove it kind of a deal an audition in in a circumstance like la might offer next season as well so opportunity abounds for uh, the the Los Angeles circumstance if they go spending. Minnesota Wild, this is a team that was one of the older clubs this season, but they made an effort to get younger by by moving on from Miko Koivu and Eric Stahl. So that gets, gets rid of the 30-somethings at center that had been leading this team for years. In terms of the snapshot, they have $12 million to spend. They have four players to sign. So again, they can spend more per player than, than most. Uh, do they entertain the likes of Luke Kunin or Alec Kelchenyuk, or do they go outside? AJ, that's the question here because everything else has been answered. In terms of rumblings, I'm also hearing Matt Dumba's name in trade talks because he is one of three defensemen that they have that they're paying over $6 million for. That's a luxury that most teams can ill afford if they want to look for balance. Uh, it's, it's striking to me that this is one team that instead of spending the big money on offense, they've done it on defense, and uh, we'll, we'll see maybe that underscored when it comes to protection lists for next season this could be one of a few teams that if they keep the status quo might be holding on to four defensemen in that advance of that draft yeah absolutely i think the the expansion draft changes the game for them i mean um you've got uh spurgeon sitter and, and brodine all have uh no movement clauses so you have to protect the three of them unless you're going to convince one of them to waive it which i find <laughs> unlikely um so dumba really becomes kind of the the central focus there i i would point to the fact though that he's the youngest of those mm-hmm. four guys and and i think can uh still provide plenty of offensive firepower you know they're they're committed to Suter for another fi- including this upcoming season another five years he's 35 years of age already so um i would probably want to try and keep matt Dumba around as much as possible and I, I've heard uh, on my, you know, from my end, I've heard rumblings about trying to improve the net mining situation. That Bill Guerin was unhappy um, with what went down last season in, in terms of the net mining. So, uh, do they try and move Devin Dubnik, or even consider, you know, a, a potential buyout here um, of that that contract? So, uh, we'll kind of see how all that uh, shakes out for them in terms of the next team on our list. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, 
Uh, we kind of talked about them at the top. Uh, they they signed uh, Jeff Petrie to to an extension that just added four more years to his deal. Uh, the the big question for them is Max Dome, who will be an RFA this off season, twenty five years of age, uh, and then you know the other. The other big uh, kind of piece here is that they're committed to 14.8, uh, almost 14.9 million dollars in in terms of their two netminders after bringing in Jake Allen uh, to to backstop Carey Price. Now, if we are going to get, we talked about this last week. If we're going to get a situation where we're playing two games a day, uh, I think 14 million dollars for those two guys is a steal, honestly. And we're going to see a lot of other teams kind of scrambling to find. Uh, even better uh, number two options here. So uh, there's there's certainly some question marks here, but they're they're in a good situation if we are playing this kind of weird abridged schedule. Yeah, and I think part and parcel of their planning is is waiting uh, during the course of next season and looking for deals like the move moves that they did around Ilya Kovalchuk. They got him for a price and they sold him for more. I think there's more of those types of deals that Mark Bergevin is looking forward to. I don't know that this is a team that's going to spend all the way to the cap. They have $10 million to spend, and a big chunk of it, if they choose to, is going to be going to Max Domi. But I don't know that they go and spend big uh, unless a free agent opportunity falls in their lap in the next few days. The Nashville Predators, this is a team that when you talk, look at their cap situation, it's got some guys at the top end of the forward and, and defense rankings that uh, they eat up a lot of money they're getting great value on the back end with Roman Yossi uh, the the newly minted top defenseman in hockey if you believe the Norris Trophy voting and I sure do but on, on offense you look at the fact that they're con- they're giving up 16 million dollars on uh, con- on exact almost similar deals to Johansson and Duchesne at the top of that list and they're not getting the bang for the buck there they need to do better than that in terms of filling out the rest of the roster they have eight eight million dollars left to spend on five players so there's an, an opportunity to get maybe one big ticket guy and then tinker around the edges here to fill in the blanks uh, wonder if they take a look at Yannick Weber on the back end is at 32 years of age. Carbonine Holzer won't be back also at 32 years of age. So I think they look outside the organization. The only other guy I can consider is do they give a Mikael Grandland another look? But he disappointed in his time so far in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, Matthew Shane not really living up to $8 million. How about Kyle Terrace in uh, his yeah. $6 million deal? That, you know, a couple of guys that have really for their price tag have um, underwhelmed let's be clear i you know i think if these guys were each making a little bit less you'd be you know decently happy and you know i think the other question mark is is the net mining let's be honest i think last year was the first time in a, a long time that nashville predators have gotten bad net mining out of pekka rene and so uh, UC Saros didn't, in my opinion, didn't really, uh, you know, step into that gap as well as I, I think expectations were that he could. Uh, and so uh, that's that's obviously a, a question mark for them. Both those guys on a contract next year. But would you consider moving Saros and bringing in somebody else um, if you think you need um, to, to, you know, transition away from from potentially both guys at, at this point? Uh, I'll jump us in to the New York Islanders next. Uh, they're, they're a club that I, I feel like is right there on, on the cusp of you know making an even deeper playoff run. Um, they've got some fantastic uh, players, and some of that starts right with their, their only real big RFA 
that's Matthew Barzell, 23 years old, who's that guy's going to need a paycheck, that's for sure. Uh, they brought in Jean Gabriel Pajot. He, uh, I don't think, disappointed. I think a great year for them. Uh, one contract, if, if I'm moving a contract for them, it's probably Andrew Ladd, 34 years of age, making 5.5 million, um, and, and really. Uh, dealt with a lot of injuries and, and stuff this season. So Devin Taves and, and Ryan Pollock also will need new deals. And then can they fit Andy Green in here? I, I don't really see it when you consider that they've got uh, just about $9 million to spend. And I would imagine Matt Barzell uh, is going to eat up probably 6 maybe pushing $7 million of that. So, um, you know, what? Uh, it's probably... Uh, a one-and-done season for them and Andy Green. And uh, you look at the strangest cap situation in the league. For me, it's the New Jersey Devils. While they have $26 million in cap space available, they have some dead money on the books and two players, Camilleri and Kovalchuk, totaling almost $2 bucks. And then they have some big tickets that are not delivering value. Uh, P.K. Subban at $9 million in, on defense and Corey Schneider in the Nets at age 34 on the books for $6 million over the next two years. Beyond that, they have some homework to do on the back end. They've only got four defensemen signed. You wonder if any of Frederick Clayce and Marco, Mirko Muller and, or Dakota Mermis is going to be signed back or, or do they go hunting in free agency to fill out that, out that lack of uh, depth on the back end and then the same could be said up front where among their free their free agents in-house are Kevin Rooney, John Hayden, Joseph Anderson and Jesper Bratt. I could make a case for Bratt being the only one of that group that is re-signed so there's going to be players who are playing uh, currently on other rosters who will be rejoining the, uh, joining the Devils and uh, filling out their complement. They need to sign nine more players beyond Bratt uh, somehow somewhere so I wonder where those players are going to come from. Well, and one option for them is is the draft. They've got the 7th, the 18th, and the 20th pick uh, in this year's draft. So, you know, I, w- I would imagine potentially the, the player they get at 7 could be NHL ready. Um, 18 and, and 20 maybe a little bit more of a question mark. But, uh, yeah, some, some certain uh, some options there as well to fill out their roster. Uh, the New York Rangers uh, are going to be adding a player in the draft. We'll, we'll continue to push that off. Uh, to our next uh, next uh, topic here, but in terms of the cap hit, they just shed a bunch of money. We talked about Mark Stahl making way. They've got $20 million. Rumblings are trying to move Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, that would give them another $8.5 million in cap space. Um, this is another team that is uh, running into a bad year uh, to have buyout contracts taken on a big hit. They're going to be paying Kevin Shattenkirk six million dollars for for his previous buyout dan girardi on the books as well um so a lot of dead money and potentially if they can't find a taker for lundquist and they're gonna go with georgiev and shesterkin between the nets you've got a third net miner eating up eight million dollars so um there's a lot uh a lot that needs to uh, be done here anthony d'angelo i would argue is probably their biggest ticket uh in terms of the the rfas that need to sign um, but they, they've only got four defensemen under contract right now. They also have Ryan Strom, who needs a new deal. So uh, Jasper Fast, if they want to bring him back. So um, a lot of work to be done in New York, that's for and, sure. And if you think there's a lot of work to be done there, you got to look at the tire fire. I can't call it anything else but that <laughs> in Ottawa, AJ. They have only nine players signed for next season, so uh, a ton of money. they still got to get to the cap floor. Cap space is $43 million. Some of that's going to be eaten up by 
the pending RFAs that include Connor Brown, Chris Tierney, Rudy Balsers, and Nick Paul, and Anthony Duclair. But uh, I think signing those guys might get you to the floor. Beyond that, there's still going to be lots of room for other names. They've, they're pivoting away from Mark Borowiecki, another heart and soul guy here, and Otto, a very popular player with the fan base as well. So maybe another negative PR move uh, in, in the mix there. In the back, and the Nets, and Anders Nilsson is a guy that is going to be facing a lot of rubber next year uh, on the books for $2.6 million. I hope some of that includes hazard pay. And the same could be said <laughs> for Marcus Hogberg, his backup. So they're not spending a lot of money in the back in the nets and i hope that they protect these guys with uh, some more depth and quality on the back end they've got some work to do to fill in those ranks yeah they, as you mentioned uh, just to get to the cap floor you're looking at having to spend 17 mil um, they've got three picks as well in the first round and another four in the second round of this year's draft so uh, those are certainly some options you know i, I think one of the biggest kind of things that that you can think about Teams are limited to 50-player contracts uh, across the whole spectrum of, of you know, two-way deals, entry-level contracts, uh, and they only have 27 of those signed. You know, most teams are running uh, about 45 to, to 47 most of the time, and and so uh, there's yeah, there's a lot going on there, and and I imagine if the floor is at 60.2 million, uh, I would be shocked if they're spending even 65 million this upcoming season uh we'll look at the philadelphia flyers next uh who have pretty much uh you know some good things going for them they re-signed robert hag just yesterday okay. uh for a, a relatively cost-effective two-year uh 3.2 million dollar deal so he'll make uh, 1.6 a year that's that's really manageable for them um from there it's some fringe guys that you know do they want to bring back justin braun um, you know, Nate Thompson, Derek Grant, Tyler Pitlick. Uh, and then obviously I think, you know, Brian Elliott would be, I think the best choice for them in terms of, uh, a veteran to, to back up Carter Hart They're They might as well bank a little bit of money. They're going to have to give Carter Hart a bridge deal in, a, in another season. Um, they do have to figure out something with Nolan Patrick. What do you pay a guy who's an RFA and hasn't played for you in over a year? I mean, that's that's a tough negotiation. Um, I honestly would be surprised if it doesn't end up in in arbitration. I just don't see um, how they get there, you know, without that because there's really, uh, you know, Nolan Patrick knows what he can do on the ice, but he hasn't been able to show it in a year. So a, a lot of questions there for for them. Yeah, the only other one I'll add is Philip Myers needs to be getting a new contract on the back end. <clears throat> We look next at your favorite club, the Pittsburgh Penguins, AJ. And uh, this is a team uh, that uh, Jim Rutherford has been expertly managing for years. He's going to be challenged this offseason, though they have only $6 million to spend. And they need to sign a few players to fill out their maximum uh, capacity of 23 uh, roster contracts. Connor Sheary is going to be at the head of the list. Dominic Simone might be there with him. Anthony Angelo is a prospect that I have some time for. And might get a, they might get by with getting him on the cheap. But beyond that, uh, back uh, the goalie situation is a little bit murky for me, AJ. And that's where the heaviest of, of the lifting is going to need to take place. They need to pick uh, one of Tristan Jarry or Matt Murray. It looks like Jarry is the guy that all people are pointing to in terms of coming back to part, partner with Casey DeSmith. But you, uh, you wonder if, uh, 
if uh, they have some other moves up their sleeve, what would you like to see out of your favorite club? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing is, uh, you know, they they are going to have to move uh, Matt Murray, um, you know, just to, to make way and with with the cap situation here. I, I think Tristan Jari is the better way to go at this point. Um, Murray, unfortunately, you know, he's got two Stanley Cups and we don't win those titles without him. But he just has not been able to show uh, being capable of being an every night season long NHL netminder. I mean, he split the nets. Uh, in those two seasons and so I, I think it's time to to part ways with him and, and to go with Tristan Jari um, I think that's going to be a weird contract negotiation you've got a guy with basically one year of NHL experience but he was named to the all-star team um, he, he was a, as a replacement for somebody else but at the end of the day he still made the the all-star team uh, this year you know guys like Patrick Marlowe I think is gone Justin Schultz is absolutely gone um <laughs> I honestly, at this point, I'd be surprised if they brought Connor Sherry back. Uh, I just don't think um, they're necessarily going to want to pay him what he thinks he's owed. Um, And I think he's probably at best looking at bottom six now that they uh, brought Kasperi Kapanen back in to to kind of be that guy on the top line with with Sidney Crosby. So, uh, yeah, the goaltending thing is to watch. uh, And what else? does Jim Rutherford do? I mean, Chris Letang's name has been circulating. Um, he's, they've disputed that. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think unless your name is Sidney Crosby at the end of the day, you, uh, an offer could come in and Jim Rutherford would trade you unless you're Sid the kid. I I really think that's about the only player that he a hundred percent would never trade. And, and I, it would have to be an impressive deal to get Malcolm. But, uh, yeah, I think there's there's always the risk when you play for Jim Rutherford of, of being shipped out. That is for <laughs> sure. Uh, we'll uh, move on to the West Coast and, and talk about the San Jose Sharks next. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot going on here as well. Uh, you know, Marty Jones under contract for four more seasons. He has had some really bad uh, years recently. Aaron Dell didn't fare any better, so I'd be surprised if they brought Dell back. Um, he'll be a UFA. They've got some untested guys who could be options, but I would not be surprised to see them on the open market. I think the biggest thing for them is health. Like, you got to have Brent Burns and Eric Carlson healthy. When you're paying those two a combined $19.5 million, they got to be in the lineup. Um, uh, on the forward ranks, you know, Evander Kane. Tomas Hurdle, all under contract next season. Their biggest uh, you know, question marks, I think, are Kevin LeBanc, what his RFA deal will look like, and then uh, is Jumbo Joe Thornton ready for another season? I, if I'm that team, I bring him back. I don't know why you wouldn't. He hasn't shown anything um, that really, I think, warrants not bringing him back on a, on a minimum deal like he signed last season. There's been rumors of Thornton being linked to the Maple Leafs, too, for a minimum dollar deal if the Leafs go in that direction. Oh, you guys up there in Toronto, you link everybody to the Maple Leafs. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm I, just reporting what I'm seeing and hearing, <laughs> partner, and you're right. The, a lot of players in free agency, they maybe use Toronto for leverage, but uh, 
I think this is going to be one of the more interesting teams with, a lot, uh, relatively speaking, a lot of money to spend and $14 million. They got some roster spots to fill, and I don't know how many they will fill from inside. So I could see them being active in free agency, AJ, is, is what I'm saying. The St. Louis Blues, another team in transition now that uh, they are no longer the Stanley Cup champions. They have a, a key free agent situation in Alex Petrangelo that, you know, fans of the Blues know that this guy is their team leader, their captain, but they have $5 million, $5,100,000 in cap space. That's not going to be enough to get him done. So they have to find a, a way to move on from contracts like like uh, Steen and uh, Bozak to f- maybe free up some dollars there. Otherwise, I don't see any way that they can retain their, their captain. And uh, it's because they spent some big money on the, on Justin Falk, uh, $6.5 million per year for the next seven years. And really, off what I've seen, that's a, that's a trade in the wrong direction if you're looking at is he a replacement for Alex Petrangelo? No bloody way, in my opinion. And so <laughs> they must rue the, de- the day they de- made that deal. And I wonder in the Nets what they're thinking now that they have uh, Jordan Binnington coming off a so-so postseason. He's on the books for $4.4 million for one more year before he becomes a UFA. Ville Huso is their other goalie now that they moved on from Allen. So maybe the goaltending situation is a bit of a question mark going forward. But uh, they also have Vince Dunn, who has to get a new contract on the back end. This is a guy that I think rounds out a very nice compliment on the blue line with or without Pietrangelo. So the situation there is not a lot of flexibility for St. Louis unless they make some other deals first. Yeah, I mean, I, I the numbers are, are not great there. Um for, for Petrangelo coming back. Um, I think in terms of net mining, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they go with, with Huso as, as the backup here or if they try and find you know somebody like a Cam Talbot that they can maybe bring in on, on the relative cheap, uh, you know around two, two, two and a half million uh, to serve as the backup. I, I don't think there's any situation in which uh, you would go into St. Louis not expecting to be the number two behind Jordan Bennington. Um, he'll be their their guy heading into next season, and I imagine uh, they may already be talking contract extension with him just to try and get that locked up long term. Especially because he's going to be a UFA. You know, the situation is always different when you're facing UFA versus RFA, and you can kind of push that decision off. Um, I would not be surprised if if talks have already begun, kind of preliminarily, on those guys uh, from the Blues. Uh, we'll take a look next uh, at the uh, from the uh, former champions to the now champions. We'll go to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, there's uh, a lot of uh, the core is is going to be back. The biggest questions are all on the back end here. Um, you know, Hedman's locked up for another five years. Vasilevsky has eight more years. Uh, Kucherov seven. Stamkos four. But um, they do have uh, obviously. Do they bring back? Patrick Maroon uh, for another go- kick at the can here. I, I don't see why you wouldn't unless he's asking too much money. Anthony Sorelli, probably their biggest RFA uh, forward here to, to lock up. Defensively, a few more question marks. They only have three guys under contract right now. Um, Mikhail Sergachev uh, is an RFA. He'll need a new deal. I would be shot- surprised if they don't want to bring back Shattenkirk, but he may have just priced himself out of Tampa Bay. Maybe he's willing to, to take a discount to, to stay along there. I don't see a real 
pressing need to re-sign Jan Ruta, Luke Shen, or Zach Bogosian at this point, but you need bodies back there, and they obviously did enough to help them lift the cup. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't overpay those guys, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, so we'll we'll see what they do. But for the most part, with I would say with the exception of Mikhail Sergeyev, maybe you could throw Anthony Sorelli in there. But there's not a lot of main core guys that really need to be retained here. So this is a team that could be right back there next season. Yeah, but one thing that I noticed, AJ, they have 15 players signed for $76 million. That means they have $5 million to spend on eight players if they want to get to 23-man roster. I don't think they're going to make it. So they have to find a way to move one of those bigger ticket guys, I think, to to gain the flexibility to fill out a, a proper roster. So that could mean a guy like a Tyler Johnson could be shopped around and his $5 million freeing up a little bit of flexibility for the club because they have some big tickets, relatively speaking, to, to spend some money on. Eric Cernak, Sergachev on the blue line are the two guys that leap to mind on the back end, and then up front, you wonder, uh, Matt, I think they pivot from Patrick Maroon, and, and he takes his lucky rabbit's foot and goes on to the highest bidder, but Anthony Sorelli is a guy up front that they also have to find a way to lock up, so between those three, that takes care of the five million that they have in space right now. That would only give them 18 skaters, including the goalies, so I think there's some uh, some tough decisions uh, pending for the, the the new Stanley Cup champions. And uh, speaking of tough decisions, well, we get to the Maple Leafs finally, AJ. And I'm wondering, like a lot of a legion of Leaf, Leafs nation, what they do. Uh, there's talk that Jason Spezza comes back on a league minimum to, to be uh, part of the leadership core. As he's the oldest guy in this club by far, a Toronto, local guy. So I have a lot of time for him fitting into this mix. They've pivoted from Kyle Clifford saying there's no way that they can afford to fit him in. But they have to fit, figure a way to get Mikhaev some he's the guy up front that I think makes the most sense there is some talk now about Evan Rodriguez talking to the club he was paid two million dollars in in the expiring contract that he had leading into this offseason they'll they'll only retain him if he agrees to something like half of that going forward then the back end they need to look at uh, their situation and see what they do with Travis Dermott I think he comes in a lower than uh, Justin Hall's deal at two million a year so they're going to really shoehorn a few players in but uh, the emergence of Nick Robertson is uh, something that gives them some flex- flexibility that allowed them to trade Kapanen into Pittsburgh the way that this guy's climbed through the ranks and been outstanding since his graduation from junior last season so uh, some interesting moves in the offing for Toronto uh, always a compelling view around the league to see what the Leafs are up to and how they try to find ways to maybe even circumvent the cap by taking on a bad contract uh, and putting a player on LTIR for the whole season to gain that kind of flexibility. Well, I just think Kyle Dubas should already get GM of the year next year for re-sign- for bringing in Jason Spezza, Alex Petrangelo, Joe Thornton, and Evan Rodriguez. That's just going to be a, a miracle in terms of fitting that under the cap. So uh, really, I, I, I'm impressed at how great of a GM he is, you know, that, that he's able to pull off all four of those deals plus everything else that they need to do. Um, no, I just, you know, it, it is funny. I, you're, it's totally not you, Paul. It, it, for whatever reason, just everybody seems to bite on all these rumors to the Leafs being mm-hmm. interested on, on basically the entire league. Yep. Um, you know, they've, they've been linked to Matt Murray coming in, uh, you know, and, and moving Freddie Anderson. And it just, it amazes me how they can they can make all these deals and claims that they're doing all these things. And then Kyle Dubas has to be like the least enjoyed GM 
of all 31 teams by their fan bases. I, I don't. I hear very few people ever defend Kyle Dubas in terms of of, of what he does in, in putting a, a team on the ice. There, so there's always intrigue in the center of the hockey universe, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I really think the center of the hockey universe should be whoever wins the Stanley Cup. When was the last time that happened? Oh, quiet down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll move on. I'll, I'll start start uh, giving you a hard time. We'll move on to the Vancouver Canucks here. And really, uh, an up-and-coming team that, that I think there's a, a few things that they need to figure out overall. But uh, I think the the core is is there and in place and and none more so in terms of figuring out uh jacob markstrom and whether or not you bring him back do you transition to thatcher demko uh if you do switch over you're going to go with demko instead of markstrom do you bring back louis domingue uh to be the backup there i i certainly would um you know chris tanov's name has been tossed around in terms of guys garnering uh, big interest from a number of clubs so they'll probably have to be pretty competitive if they want to bring him back on the blue line um, and they've got plenty of rfa guys that need deals jake Bertanen, uh adam gaudet troy stetcher kind of highlight that group in, in, in my opinion uh, and then obviously the other big name in ford is tyler Tofoli. he really uh, had successful run with with them after being uh, traded over and, and whether or not uh, they can fit him in right now, you're looking at $14 million in space. Um, so they're not going to be able to get all those guys back, I, I don't think, uh, unless they can find somebody to take on Louis Erickson and, and that horrendous $6 million cap hit. And uh, in, in Vegas, the talk is around the net mining situation, pure and simple, AJ. Before we look at that, we look at the fact that they have uh, almost $5 million to spend. They have five roster spots to get to that 23 number in total but the goaltending situation is the one where the intrigue begins and ends for me here mark andre fleury on the books for the next two seasons at seven million dollars a piece apparently being shopped around the league because they're committing they're about to commit i'm hearing to robin leonard five years at five million per so that eats up the five million that they have in terms of space that means they have to create more space and and uh, getting rid of the mark andre fleury contract is only part of that deal they probably have to find a way to move some other big ticket items from around the rest of the roster maybe moving on from paul stastny's 6.5 million dollar cap hit is the answer but i don't know if you find any takers for that one so there'll be some some intrigue around what vegas is doing in this offseason yeah just one kind of rumor mill thing i will toss in there that i, I recently uh read that uh flurry potentially after this seven million dollar deal wraps up that uh there at least would be interest from him uh in possibly doing a, a one-year victory lap with the penguins on a relatively minor uh deal uh, although you know he also talked about potentially uh wanting to end his career in vegas after after he originally went there um that seems less and less likely with every day Although, again, you know, we talked about this with Montreal's situation. If we're playing two games a night um, a, a handful of times, or even if we're not, if we're playing four games in five days or something, uh, you're going to want two quality netminers. So maybe they can figure out how to make it work financially. It, it's not going to be easy. And I, I honestly, I don't expect it based on that $5 million hit for Leonard. But uh, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility if we're working on a really condensed NHL schedule. Uh, net mining seems to be the theme this offseason, and that uh, carries over into the Washington Capitals as well. Do they part ways with Braden Holpe, uh, their Stanley Cup winning netminder? 
they've got Ilya Samsonov, you know, ready and, and waiting to go here. Um, but I, I just, for my part, I think it's too soon. It's not like Holpe is on the back half of 35. He's just 31 years of age. Um, he did win them the Stanley Cup. I get he's probably not going to be cheap, um, but I would try and find a way to make it work. They've got just under $9 million in space. Uh, 11 forwards, four defensemen. So there's a couple other question marks there. Um, but for me, uh, I, I try and bring him back at least for another year and and see what you actually have. Everybody talks about Ilya Samsonov being this great netminder. His NHL games are, are, are not there. I mean, uh, I, I think it's too soon to call him the, you know, the next, uh, you know, Patrick Waugh or whatever people want to make him out to be sometimes. And so uh, I, if I'm running the team, I bring Holtby back on, on maybe a couple more deal if he's willing, willing to do it. And then if you feel like it's time to transition, go from there. Well, if you think there's big questions on some of the teams around the league, there may be a no bigger one than what do the Winnipeg Jets do with Patrick Laine? His name is all over the rumor mill. And it's, uh, I, I wondered why until I started to look at their cap situation, AJ. Quite frankly, they got 13 players, including Laine, right now, who are eating up $65 million on this cap. And so the notion is this they want to move, they're considering moving him for a number of pieces that will fill, help them fill out the roster for maybe similar money. Maybe get, they get three guys for the money that they're spending on him or project to spend on him if he, he was to resign. He's currently got a $6.7 million cap hit in the next season. If they can move off that and get three guys at 2.3, they, they're uh, filling out the roster with more depth because the quality is not there in terms of the UFAs that are uh, out on their roster. Mason Appleton, a pending RFA. Jack Roslovic, another pending RFA. They lead in terms of notoriety among the forwards. On the back end, it's the likes of Sami Niku, who's an, an RFA, Dmitry Kulikov, a pending UFA, Dylan DeMello. Those are the, the name recognition types who I think should be offered a, a new deal in, in Winnipeg if they want to come back. Then they also got to figure out what to do behind Connor Hellebuck. So plenty of questions uh, here. But you, I, I, I'm starting to think that moving on from Patrick Laine in a trade is, is more than a 50-50 proposition for the Jets right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, in terms of strictly on-ice product, and I, I get we can't operate in a bubble in, in the salary cap era, but in terms of on-ice product, I don't see any return for Patrick Laine uh, making this team better. Um, but you do have to consider the cap, and, and that's just the era that we live in, and, and you know, they, they'll they make the tough decision. Um, the question, I think, has to depend on whether or not you're going to get Brian Little back at all, because... Uh, without Brian Little and you trade Patrick Laine, then your top six is just a little too decimated for me in terms of even, you know, regardless of what you get back for Laine. And look, uh, I agree. I, I think the backup net mining situation, um, they do need to figure out. But if there's any goalie in this league that would play twice in one day, uh, I think it's Connor Hellybuck, right? I mean, this is a guy that seems to want to be you know, that uh, Marty Baron, you know, 73 games played kind of guy. Um, and so we'll, we'll definitely see what uh, what they do in terms of backup. But it's, it's I don't think it is or should be a priority for Winnipeg. 
And AJ, next on the calendar for the NHL is the amateur draft. It's coming up in a few days, and uh, we're going to take a look quickly at some of the top prospects that are out there. I'm going to suggest to our listeners that maybe the top six players in terms of the prospect rankings are the guys that you can expect to get a regular turn in the NHL right off the hop next season. And at the top of the list, we got to talk about Alexi Lafreniere, who is going to go to the New York Rangers, barring the unforeseen. And uh, going to Broadway, this guy should be a hit right away. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the the numbers weren't quite there uh, when they brought in Capo uh, Caco. I, I think all of us, myself included, expected a little bit better production out of him right out of the gate. But um, they, they certainly weren't bad numbers, 23 points in 66 games. Um, but to be able to field uh, the, you know, the top, you know, uh, top pick and the, the number two pick in back-to-back drafts next season uh, is, is a good look for them. And, and I really think they're going to be uh, looking pretty, pretty, pretty good in terms of their top six. I think maybe there's a slim argument could be made that they would consider going uh, for a center instead of the winger because they have, um, you know, because they have Capo Caco. But I, I would not uh, suggest that by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think Lafreniere is just too far ahead of the rest of the field. But if there's a player that could maybe intrigue them because he plays center, it, it certainly is Quentin Byfield has a uh, quality uh, numbers uh, playing in the OHL, and and I think uh, the you know the the next team on the list here will certainly be happy. Uh, the Kings, that is, will will be happy to get Byfield if you think he would go number two. And then the other guy in the mix of the top three is Tim Stutzley. He's the top European prospect here from Mannheim, Germany. A left-handed shot and uh, capable of playing any uh, any situation for for the the team that gets him. He only played 41 games this is a tough evaluation thing when you're talking about some of these european players they don't play as many games as some of the uh, top uh, north american prospects he only played 41 games for Mannheim last year got 34 points and he also had five five points in the world juniors for germany and their entry there but uh, a can't miss prospect out of europe uh, is going to be in the mix in the top three beyond that do you look at a guy who's maybe the top defensive pro- defenseman prospect in the list and that's jamie drysdale this guy's a power play quarterback in the offing and the the added feature with him he's he's a right-handed shot which is the holy grail among defensemen right now it seems that every team needs a right-handed shot defenseman so he's going to fill the need for somebody he's not a big guy at 511 and 175 out of erie in the ohl but uh, the top ranked defenseman in the nhl behind him another short relatively short in terms of stature forward out of Ottawa in the OHL is Marco Rossi, Austrian-born player. Not too many guys have ever made the league from Austria. Left-handed shooting player. He was the top scorer in this Canadian Hockey League with 120 points last year. So a team looking for a boost offensively might look for the diminutive uh, center out of Ottawa. Well, just one more uh, thing on on, on Stutzel. And and I think the the thing there that I maybe consider for if, if I'm looking between two or three, uh, I think playing in the DEL and over in Germany makes him slightly more NHL ready than uh, some of his cohorts here who've 
played exclusively in juniors and and you know I, the DL is an upcoming league uh, in Germany you know it may not get quite the accolades as as the uh, the KHL but I would put them right there um, probably right up there with with the Swedish Hockey League as well um, and so I, I think there's something to be said for the fact that yeah there's less games um, but maybe a, a, a deeper um, a deeper option uh, in terms of, of, you know, experience against uh, NHL caliber guy. And he might be more game ready uh, than, say, a Quentin Byfield. Uh, and then I'll, I'll homer this one up at the end here and talk about one more guy, Dylan Holloway, uh, coming out of the University of Wisconsin here. He projects, I, I think, to be a top 20 pick. Um, you know, this is a guy uh, doesn't have a, a huge, uh, you know, uh, CV in terms of uh, time in in the the Big Ten and in co- college hockey, but you're talking about a guy who played with Cole Caulfield and and Keandre Miller and, and a couple of these other Wisconsin guys that are going to be uh, on NHL rosters next year. And I I don't think Holloway makes a straight jump. Uh, you know he'll probably spend another at least next season um, in in uh, in college. Uh, you know assuming we have a collegiate season down here in in the U.S. But um, for guy, you know, for teams in the middle that can wait a little bit longer for him to have another year, New Jersey picks at 18 and 20. Um, you know, Montreal is at 16. Uh, the Maple Leafs at 15, maybe are, are willing to let a guy like that kind of develop for, for a year or two. Uh, I, I think he's one to watch. Uh, I'll round out my look at the top six, AJ, before throwing a couple of names back at you to see your reaction. But Cole Perfetti is another guy that I'm looking at out of Saginaw in the OHL. This guy may have the highest hockey IQ of any player in the first round. He had 111 points last season, and he ended the regular season with a real rush, 12 points, 12-game point streak with 26 points there, just uh, showing the uh, a real bag of tricks in his uh, package uh, uh, not the biggest guy out there at 177 pounds five foot ten but all kinds of skill and and a head that that keeps up with his feet i think and that's always something that i look forward to beyond that i'm looking at the top goalie prospect out of the soviet union the russia rather let's call it russia soviet union is an archaic <laughs> moniker now but yaroslav askarov i'm just thinking about yesterday being the 48th anniversary of canada russia series aj i guess that's where i was thinking <laughs> my mind was for a minute or two but yaroslav askarov the top goalie prospect out of st petersburg uh, not quite 18 yet uh, but will be by the draft day or very close anyway uh, it, he is far and away the top goalie prospect here and he's being already compared to carry price and anytime you can mention a prospect in with carry price that makes me stand up and take notice and he could be a top 10 pick in this draft uh, beyond that there's some right-handed shot defensemen that i'll be wondering where they fall Braden schneider in the mocks that i've seen falls to 15th and that's exactly where the leafs are he's he plays a strong two-way game drives a power play run, uh, runs the penalty kill so plays in all situations that sounds like exactly the kind of guy that the blue and white could certainly use and then i wonder if the montreal canadians have their eye on a guy like a hendrix lapierre of course course the fact that he was a star in the Quebec Major Junior League is, is going to make him attractive to fans of the Canadians you wonder the French speaking thing drives that pick the Canadians have a whole
whole host of picks in the early rounds, and maybe they spend one on Lapierre. And uh, any other names jump off the list for you? I'll throw Caden Gooley is another two-way defenseman that might be somebody the Leafs look at out of Prince Albert. Got some size to him as well. So uh, some options here, the intriguing ones and names that will be familiar to fans in coming years, but uh, this is where it all starts at the draft. Yeah, and I'll mention Jake Sanderson, uh, a, a U.S. national team develop uh, U.S. national development team product. Um, you know, six foot two, 185 pounds, so not huge, but certainly not small. Um, he uh, has been kind of their number one guy uh, in terms of you know international tournaments for for the junior teams uh, for the U, uh, United States, a, a number one power play guy for them. Um, offensive upside has been a little bit limited, but, um, you know, he, he is good at kind of breaking out the zone, um, by all accounts. And so, uh, that's kind of a, a huge uh, deal for teams that want to get up the ice quickly is having defensemen, uh, that can, you know, get the puck, uh, to the forwards and, and out of your defensive zone. So uh, another player, uh, to really watch there. AJ, that brings us to the end of my fifth season on podcasts and your fourth, closing out uh, another year of in- intrigue marred by this COVID virus that put a big hole in the schedule for a time. But I'm really glad that the league was able to get to the end. I'm even more grateful to Rotowire for the faith that they've placed in us to do this pod, though. And I look forward to starting our next season in only a few weeks once we know when that season will begin. So we ask uh, our followers to be patient until we know that schedule. But do you have any final words before we sign? off another season no just uh you know it's it's obviously been uh, a little bit of a, a different look uh, at the nhl here um but yeah it's uh, the big question is when we're gonna have hockey again but there'll be plenty of topics that come up you know we've got the draft right around the corner free agency kicks off um even uh looking before that we've got you know uh rfa offers or qualifying offers need to go out to rfas here so there'll no doubt be some players left off uh you know qualifying offers that'll become unrestricted free agents so uh we would just welcome any and all questions that you have over the next couple of weeks while we're off the air we're always still available on twitter and happy to engage with you uh with all of our listeners uh over that format and we, uh, on behalf of AJ, I want to thank all our loyal listeners. There's thousands of you out there that listen in every week, and we're very grateful for that. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into the podcast, to get our tips, to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 